Welcome to The Witcher Lorecast, the show that explores the vast lore behind The Witcher games, show, and books. Witchers, welcome back to The Witcher Lorecast. This is your host, Tom, or Robots, and I'm here with my grumpiest of co-hosts. Everybody knows that my co-host here is is a grumpy dude, and I've I've come up with the best name for you, Toasty. I'm not going to introduce you as Toasty, even though I just called you Toasty. I've got a new one. You ready for this one? Twice baked bread. Because, you know, when you toast bread, it's like cooking it a second time. This episode, Toasty is going to be silent the entire time, and I'm going to do the episode by myself. You don't even know. if Unless you're here watching the video, the stream or the video version of this, you don't even know if Toasty's in the room. He's like a ghost. Ghosty. <laughs> Should I call you Ghosty? I'm not mad at that, honestly. <laughs> I'm not mad at that one. It's pretty, it's pretty decent. It's, it's pretty good. <clears throat> so, uh, how's it going, Ghosty? Uh, good. Right. Good. It's, cool. it's, I went back to work today. Yeah. After yeah. a vacation. Oh, that's always hard. It's, it's, I'm tired. Yeah. Well, hey, we get to king, uh, hang out and talk about King Demovend Third Because mm-hmm. we're in Adern still. We uh we just yes. did the Adern episode last week, and now we're getting into the details of some of the uh, some of the people that you might want to be familiar with. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Well, we're gonna be be sticking around here for a little bit. A little bit. There's a lot of people, a lot of important people, a lot of important people that probably need two episodes specifically to themselves. Yeah, a lot like, of a lot of content. Rhymes with Jennifer of Vengerberg. Jennifer <laughs> of Vengerfurt. Yep, that's a uh, yep. that's the weird doppelganger. That's Yennefer's weird doppelganger. That's like the girl that lives over in the town next next to her. And then they're like, "You guys look really similar. Are you sure you're not related?" And they're like, "No, stop bringing that up." Jennifer Vingerford. All right, but that's not who we're talking about today. We're talking about King Demavend 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 the third the third of Adern. So, uh, so w- let's get into the details here, Toasty. Why, why are we talking about King Demavand the third? Uh, because uh, he's what I would consider the most important, uh, had the most historical impact on uh, the kingdom of Adern. Um, he is the sixteenth king, uh, and I got a little little excerpt here that I want to read from a journal entry for The Witcher 2. Okay. Okay. Um, Can you do it in a voice similar to what King Dem- Demavend would sound like? He's <laughs> just the gears are processing. It's like trying to pluck out an Adernian accent. It's like Yeah, I mean they're all kind of just no. shades of British, right? <clears throat> uh, I'm just going to I'm just going to go with no. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, let me be my general acerbic self. Thanks, Sam, for that word. Um, <laughs> Dimavend, son of Vifero, ruled the kingdom of Adern, which was mightily aggrieved during the last war with Nilfgaard. A proponent of authoritarian rule, he was seen as having no love for non-humans. He often moved radically against the Scoia'tael, though he drooled in spite of himself when the guerrillas perpetrated massacres on his own people, as these justified the punitive expeditions he delighted in sending into the foothills of Dol Blathana. Wait, wait, wait. So you're, wait, hold on. So you're saying he got a taste of his own medicine? Yes, but it just fueled his, like, 
It just made it matter. They attacked him, so he was like, cool. That gives me a reason to attack them. It's a justification. Uh, yeah. Yeah. This yeah. dude was a big believer in uh Cassus Belly or be- Yeah, Cassus Belly. Like the reason like your your claim to taking over somebody else's <clears throat> land or whatever. Yep. He was yeah. a big fan of this. Um he also showed no shyness towards imprisoning and torturing rabble rousers and street prophets who would interfere in his politics. Uh-oh. Thus, it is no wonder that many could not wait to see him dead. In spite of this, his subjects could not help but be surprised by his death, for it is not every day that a crown head paints the palace floor with its blood. That's dark. <clears throat> also, seems like a nice guy. Yeah. Real, real, real nice guy. Real lenient type. Seems to love all peoples. Um, yeah, I mean, all of them sound nice compared to Strager Bar, so. Yeah, I mean, I guess unless you're a rebel rouser, because then you get tortured. Or street prophet. Street prophet. That, can I, I be a rabble rouser and you can be a street prophet? Because this sounds like... You can be like, what was it, uh, Carnage or Carth- Carnage or whatever, that guy from Cyberpunk? Oh, I, I thought you were like talking like Marvel Comics Spider-Man. No, 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 <laughs> no. No, no. Okay. No, the, All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah, can't Co, 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 Co plays a character. Co-Carnage, right? Yeah, the yeah. streamer Co Carnage is in the game and he <laughs> he's plays. He's a street prophet, right? You yeah. would count that as a street prophet. Yeah, yeah, he's a street prophet. Yeah, yeah. And I could be a rabble rouser. I mean, you already are, Tom. Oh, thanks. I just hope I don't get tortured. Okay. So, um, yeah. So, uh, so in non sarcastic terms, it sounds like a terrible guy that everybody was hoping he would die. And then when he did. Uh, it did. He was murdered in a very dramatic way. Yes, and we will get to that, but not for a little bit. So uh, he had some titles. He was the King of Adern, of course, the Sixteenth King, um, Protector of Upper Adern, Protector of the Pontar Valley, um, which are the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but sometimes and- people say things, you know, like they emphasize some part of your titles or the land you lord over or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and yeah, sovereign of Dolblathana. <clears throat> okay, okay, uh, so that makes sense because Dolblathana is in Adern. Yeah, uh, Dimavend was a member of the Adernian dynasty. Um, he was the son of King Viferal, um, who, like I said last week, that was the king we see that Yennefer impresses, uh, during like that dance in the third episode i believe in eratusa when she comes out yeah. all like made up and awesome looking because she did the whole mm-hmm. body transformation thing yeah yep, that is that is king viferal um he sired his son stinnis with his unnamed wife they don't name her she's just she's we don't know her name <laughs> we don't know her name uh as well as another son baldwin who was the illegitimate child of an affair with demaretta of goulet a prostitute from aldersburg nice like nice they give they give his illegitimate like his baby mama uh-huh. and not his wife she gets a name we know who we know who he is. because it was chances are that was more uh i don't know controversial country yeah, as the thing people were talking about everyone everyone likes the the drama yeah um, yeah it was also related to esterad tyson king of Kovir and povis during the second northern war and queen meave of lyria and rivia hmm. okay <clears throat> so he has some he has some family connections as a some powerful family connections yeah i i I would imagine in the continent just like in say uh european you know kings and queens and those kinds of things that everybody at some point after like 16 generations of kings everybody's related to somebody right 
like yeah. there's a whole Definitely. lot of like you're gonna have to remarry someone else who's of royalty and by the way they're also your cousin and you just don't have any options because that's just there's just only so many other kingdoms <laughs> yeah so yeah. but you know he has some powerful queen meave was actually a very strong ally of his because uh Illyria and Rivia are like pocketed right under Adern. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a, they, they work together a lot. Uh, as for appearance and personality, uh, despite apparently having a belly large enough to hold a <laughs> tankard full of beer while he was sprawled in his armchair, it's just like, wow, just tucking it or just a tankard. So big. <clears throat> How big is a tankard? Hold on, I have to look. That's like the, the how the big cup, is right? a, That's tankard. a tankard? A tankard, it's not too much, 15 uh, centimeters high, and a small tankard is 11 centimeters high. I mean, it's still pretty high. big. It was a base, yeah. Like, that's like a that's like a big mug of beer, yeah. But like, imagine he's holding yeah. it like with the base on his stomach while he's in. You know, and like, uh-huh. unless they were talking about like, like it's so it goes out so far that I, you could set it on top, like right, right. here. So it's, it impressive. specifically says a belly large enough to hold a tankard full of beer while he was sprawled, sprawled on his arm. So I, I think what they mean is like to set it on it, not that the size of the belly was the size of a tankard. So it must be a large enough belly for the like the flat part that comes out forward while you're sitting back is like big enough to like just put the tank like if like if you or I sat out here right now and tried to put it like this cup that I'm drinking and balance it on my stomach it's not gonna do that right like we're not that big uh but this dude that means he's he's got a bowl full of jelly yeah, going on yeah he's That's he's got a Santa Claus belly big guy yeah he's a big guy but he was still considered <laughs> handsome He's a handsome man by 12. Yeah. 1268. All right. So he's a handsome dude. You know, some guys look good big, Mm -hmm. I guess. Dad bods. I hear dad bods are in Tom. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe that was like the trend of the, of the 1260s was like dad bods were in for that decade. Yeah. Um, he was especially attractive in his younger years, and it was said that Fultist himself would have envied his eagle-like profile with piercing emerald green eyes. Wait, does that mean he's had, his else had a big nose? Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Uh, you know, it's let me, well, the, based like on the this Roman, picture that I'm looking at. The Roman he royalty. Has a pretty large nose. Yeah, the Roman royalty <clears throat> like was known for having uh, large noses, and if it didn't like bend a certain way, then you couldn't even be part of the Senate because you weren't considered a true Roman. Wow. Yeah. So yeah, having a like a profile with a big nose at some points in our history was considered like that was a good thing. Is that like in Fallout 4, you have the Roman nose option? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because it, it comes out at like it kind of bends. There's like kind of a bump right here towards the top of it. And then the nose bends down almost like a like a beak. I don't have that. My, yeah. Yours is, yours is more straight. Thing. Mine's more straight also. Yeah. Pick it apart. Every aspect of this dude's. <laughs> we got to get into all the juicy episode. details for everybody. Exactly. Uh, Dimavind also had a rather lustrous mane that, to his great sorrow, receded quickly with age. To hide this, he often wore a white cap embroidered with golden thread. Nice. <clears throat> and he wore it under his crown. So it was just like, mm. like a little like knit cap, and then he put his crown on top of it. Yeah. So he could hide know. all this I mean, the hair helps keep your head warm, and it's a cold continent. Yeah, that's true. That's true. 
Uh, Dimavend was intelligent, well-educated, and knowledgeable about tactics. And once they start getting into like the details of his life, this becomes even more apparent. Because this dude, his whole entire existence was war from the sounds of it. Like, it was mm-hmm. just fighting all the time. Uh, yeah. this well, is best you got you to do what you're good at, right? Yeah. This is best evidenced by how he was able to predict Emir's moves during the Northern Wars. A, stru- a shrewd, far-seeing politician, he knew precisely what to do to ensure the integrity of his realm. One of his other characteristic traits was self-control. He was able to maintain a calm facade even when arguing with impulsive people like Hinsult. King Hinsult, his rival from Kaidwin, the mm. dude that he waged a war with for almost the entirety of his reign while they fought over uh, the upper Adern or the Pontar Valley. Only his face betrayed how much effort he put into not losing composure, which set like soon contradictory like it's yeah well he he doesn't lose composure like he didn't yell right but you could tell that he was like restraining himself his face just turned like super red even though he's like trying really hard or he's just like not smiling even though they're like right this is a good idea and he's like yes Mm -hmm. but he wants to like stab their eyes out right this dude took like yeah he took control situations too this is something else i noticed um he was cruel at times, ordering priests whose preachings interfered with his politics to be tortured to death. His hatred for elves was legendary, and he went as far as launching a large persecution of non-humans that resulted in many a pogrom. Nice. Uh, a massacre, you know, for those who aren't familiar. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's mm-hmm. more, Demavend offered 50 ducats for every Scoyatel head, even in a time when the royal treasury was nearly drained by the war with Nilfgaard. It must be said, though, that he didn't hate the non-humans blindly. He had good relations with the dwarves of Mahakam and eventually allowed Dolblathana to be an autonomous elven duchy. So do you think it was more of a tactical decision? Like the elves might be in cahoots with Nilfgaard, so they might be spies. So we better kill them all just to make sure. I, you know, I think so. Like this dude is so tactically like focused in his brain right that i feel like that kind of because once like the war was over like he was like okay like he made them like their own autonomous state where it was like right so right. it's like so, like i no longer have a beef with you because you're not like fighting in the war against it like right even the ones that couldn't like somebody who's still terrible but like the ones that couldn't he wasn't sure who he could trust as far as the elves go because any one of them could be scoy as hell and for you know yeah. a good amount of them were so it's just like okay, i just have to be careful with all else uh, right obviously not trying to excuse this stuff because it's still sure. awful <laughs> to sure. massacre an entire race yeah yeah but like somebody who is just like blindly racist probably wouldn't also do these other things mm-hmm. and, and like he has good like it doesn't mention any, it's all elves like it doesn't ever mention like the dwarves except for to say that he had like good relations with them right and, like, and we I'm know sure... that the dwarves weren't in cahoots with Nilfgaard they didn't like Nilfgaard either they were yeah. likely going to lose their lands and... and it was also like it, it was kind of like a yeah that plus it was like a situation where like if you're the dwarves do you really want to try and like because like the elves are really spread out the dwarves are centered in mahakam which is in between kaidwin redania and Adern. do you really want to yeah. be like hey i'm gonna support nilfgaard oh are you yeah <laughs> we're yeah. gonna squish you yeah yeah so yeah, absolutely yeah. um 
so it was probably in the best interest for them to just stay neutral or like i'm sure they had a very profitable like with adern like i'm sure Dimon's like hey i need like a ton of weapons y'all are super good smiths Mm -hmm. hook me up i'll pay you some money right you live in the hills you mine stuff you craft stuff for us we'll buy it from you yeah like i'm sure that was a really profitable like exchange between them that makes sense Uh, that makes sense Divin also wasn't very trustful of mages, calling them devious old windbags. <laughs> Sounds pre- like he's met one of our favorite mages. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and preferred royal messengers for communication. He nonetheless had Ratcliffe of Oxenfurt as an advisor and informant and also called Yennefer for help from time to time. Yeah, I, I feel like this again was a tactical thing. Although he didn't always trust them, there were times when they were very useful. So it was worth <sighs> reaching out to them yeah yeah i mean they are like it's it, yeah again the situation where it's all like it's all tactics in this dude this dude's brain of like okay like i don't like mages but i need this done a mage can do this mm-hmm. the best and like i have two mages on retainer that like even if i don't like them or trust them very much i know that they can get it done and they're like they're serving tool. my best interests yeah so like let me call them up whenever i need them so right I mean, right so yeah it, it like he seems like a very rational person even though sometimes his rationality isn't d- doesn't lead to some activities that you know most of us would be okay with but isn't that the demands of being the king sometimes you just have to you know hang people and murder them and stuff because you got to keep people in their place Right, like, I'm sure that's I mean, it happens. what they thought <laughs> back in that time. Right, <laughs> I'm sure right. they were like, "Yeah, I need to like kill Sometimes a bunch you gotta of my make citizens." Tough because, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I would, I would wonder how many times people in power, even today, will make make calls on a regular basis that they know will have dramatically terrible. <laughs> results for a specific part of the population because there are definitely times where it's just you know a rock and a hard place like somebody's gonna lose on this no matter what decision you make it's just a matter of which direction you go right so now it may be not as dramatically as this but you know it could happen yeah i mean this definitely can think of some examples but i'm not gonna bring them up yeah, <laughs> yeah. just ben in chat says uh, the dwarves stayed at home to play gwent <laughs> That's they were they were not worried about the war. They're just playing Gwent all day. That that's fair. That's fair. You know, somebody had to get the trend going, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, we're at the mid break. What are we gonna talk about when we get back? We're talking about bit his history, his biography. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. yeah. Sounds good. All right. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Very well. Let us get this over with. Something has infested my vineyard. Mm-hmm. Great. Let me go prepare my something oil then. Hey Ben, you want just want to play Gwent with me? Like we could let Toasty do the rest of the show. You and I could just play Gwent. How's that sound? I, I can't end the stream, Tom. Oh it'll, wait, oh, I, I, it'll, I guess it'll I still, still have go. To like right. it'll just be there oh, all forever. Right. All right. Well, here we are in the <laughs> Ben says yes. Here we are in the middle of the show. Thank you everybody for supporting the show and for being here. Those of you in live chat, welcome. 
We love having you guys in here. Um, we don't have any new patrons this week, but a big shout out to everybody who does support us. All 17 of our patrons. Thank you so very much. And an extra big shout out to our tier five higher vampire patrons, Ben of Tamaria, Vita, Bjornin, and Bane the Hospital Guy. Thank you so much to all three of you guys and everybody else. We really appreciate the support. We couldn't do it without you guys. And then um, normally we read a review, but we don't have any new reviews this week either. So it's kind of a quick mid-break. But if you do want to join us on the patron episode, which will be happening next week. Uh, next week. Yeah, it's next week. So today is the 20th. We record this on Monday night and we always live stream at Monday night. So you're welcome to come join us. Um, but the uh, live live chat with our patrons will be on the 27th. So <gasps> what? Toasty? Tom, yeah. Tom, we're at 250 ratings on Spotify. What? Oh, 250. We got 250, Tom. That's amazing. Thanks, everybody. If you've, if you've left a rating, thank you so very much. We appreciate it a ton. Um, but yeah, go check out patreon.com slash Witcher Lorecast. Not The Witcher. Witcher Lorecast. And check out the different tiers. And if you want to join us next week, you've still got time to sign up. We haven't decided on a topic this week. It might be fun to talk something similar to what we've been talking about lately. Any ideas off the top of your head? You know, I usually just let the patrons decide, uh, yeah. which normally I try to like get it ahead of time, but that's never, that never works. So I just like post it like two hours before the show <laughs> right, and they make right. decisions at that point. Yeah. Usually, usually uh, it's probably what's going to happen again, yeah, but yeah. you know, it works. It works. So sometimes. Far, so my experience with patrons is sometimes you have patrons that are just way into planning and they really want to throw out some ideas. And sometimes the group is just kind of like, yeah, whatever. We'll figure it out. So if you have some ideas you and you want to sign up and join us, then you are absolutely able to uh, influence us and throw some cool ideas out there for conversations. But we'll come up with something and that'll be next week. So that's what we got for the mid break. And let's move on with the rest of the show. You smell of death and destiny, heroics and heartbreak. It's onion. Right. Yeah. All right, so King Demavend the Third wasn't always a uh, strategically minded uh, murdering adult. He grew up, right? He was a kid. How'd yeah. that go? That went great for him. It yeah. just went phenomenally, swimmingly, Sw swimmingly. Even oh, by the way, totally should have said this during the mid break, but I remembered it after. The audio clip was playing. Uh -huh. Tom, we've been doing this for like a year. Oh, is it? Is it like this week? I, I I remember that we started like a couple days after my birthday or something last uh, year. Oh, I bet you're right. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty right. sure that's what that's when it was. This has been like a year. Yeah, I can it? I can look at the dates. I can go back and look at all the dates, and we can hear. I'm scrolling dates? down. Episode one went up on June fifteenth. So yeah, that was my be? birthday. Well, happy <clears> birthday. <throat> Uh, happy also recent birthday then. Man. So yes, it's, we've been doing this. It's been a year. year, Tom. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. One year, one year one. and 51 episodes. This is 52nd episode. So that makes sense too. 52 weeks yeah. in a year. I think we might've missed one week somewhere along there, but uh, yeah, that's awesome. Congratulations to us. Woo. Thanks for, thanks uh, for being here, everybody. Uh, but yeah, on to kingdom of that. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, he, he grew up. Um, he grew up around some war stuff, 
too, believe it or not. Well, like, hey, like that I might said, have a lot to do with. <laughs> it might have a lot to yeah. do with him. So uh, at some point in 1226, agents of the Temerian Secret Service who infiltrated a Dernian Special Forces station in Aldersburg made an attempt on the life of underage Prince Dimovind, Uh-oh. an act meant to be Medell's revenge for the shameful defeat Vifril handed him near Hog. Medell being the uh, King of Temeria at the time. Uh, although it was unsuccessful, Vifril flew into a rage and executed an entire third of the special forces, including the Commissar Vilmarek Mobius. What? <laughs> so he was mad at his own special forces for not stopping it sooner. Yeah. <laughs> yeah he <laughs> wow. was. Wow. It was like, these guys tried to kill my child. Right. So or I'm maybe they were working with him. Off. And so they didn't, you know, they didn't get in the way or whatever. Which that seems to be a theme of like whenever your your army fails you, you kill a bunch of them. Um, <laughs> yeah. Nilfgaardian or Nilfgaard was fond of this tactic as well. <clears throat> so um, it, it's it's yeah, it's a crazy universe. Uh, so yeah, he you know he's just a young kid. Someone tried to take his life. It's like mm-hmm. it's pretty. Which by the way, you lost a battle. So you went straight for his son <laughs> like that's Yeah, well, it, it's that, probably one of those things where he doesn't he realizes he can't fight back, you know, army to army. So why not just hire an assassin and send them in to a thing that's going to hurt him more than losing a battle, right? Damn, that's yeah. cold. Yeah, that's cold. Uh, so uh, after that, we kind of get on to the uh, first Northern War. It was the next significant part of his lifetime here. Uh, so more war. <laughs> in 1263, Dimovin joined with the rest of the Northern Kingdoms to avenge Calanthe and the atrocities that the Black Forces perpetrated in Sintra. And this is Led- this is what we see in the show. <clears throat> yes. So th- we're caught up to show timeline yes, here. Is. Yeah. Yep. Um, led by Vitsimir II of Redania, the united might of the Northern Kingdoms drove back the Black Forces by defeating them in the Battle of Sodden Hill. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, a truce between the Northern Kingdoms was negotiated shortly after, though Nilfgaard's retreat led to the breaking of this truth, truce. Uh, Adern and Kaidwin began quarreling over the area of Upper Adern, or the Lordmark to Kaidwin, also known as the Pontar Valley. Um, this this area, dude, like it just, yeah, they always fighting. Yeah, well, we talked <laughs> about this previously. It's like a breadbasket. It's a place where they can get a lot of a lot of crops grown. And they yeah. can feed Which, a lot of people. I think like, I'm starting to realize that it was less because it was given to Adern for like assistance um in a war from with Kaidwin, like or not with them, but like they assisted them. Um and so or it pushing back Redania, I believe. And so it was less of like Adern being, you know, needing it because we know that they were quite fruitful, like everywhere else as well. It's just a matter of like this is ours. You gave it to us. Mm-hmm. Now we're going to keep it. <laughs> and Kaiwin's like, we really need this. So we're, we're starving. And Adrian's like, yeah, but you gave it to us. So we're going to keep it. <laughs> yeah, but screw you guys. Because you're not <clears throat> us. No, we don't do this whole trade backsies thing here. Mm-hmm. Uh, no gives these backsies. Um, in spring of 1267, Dimovin summoned Hinsult to Haga. Uh, as well as Vitsimir II, Foltest of Tamaria, and Meave of Lyria and Rubia. Mm-hmm. So the rest of the, the northern leaders. Uh, at the meeting of Hag, uh, many topics were discussed, including how Emir Var Imris 
purge of his military leadership would lead to future forces being led by young officers rather than sergeants. So like I just mentioned before, it seems a popular thing to do. Mm-hmm. They lost the battle of Sodden Hill. Emir was like, okay, I'm going to kill all my officers and replace them, which, you know, that doesn't seem like the best idea. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Well, so there's always the, like, is this person actually working against me? And so that's why they didn't try harder. There's always that, like, like a lot of these leaders, suspicious. yeah, get into these positions where they're now suspicious of everybody because they know everybody's trying to get a knife in their back, right? Mm-hmm. So there's like, well, somebody paying off the officer, what's going on? So they just don't trust him anymore. Um, in modern times, keeping you, him around is like, there was an advantage, would it not be like, cause they fought against yeah. the forces before. Yeah. So now they have like the experience of battling with them. The ones that survive. Right. Assuming that they're <clears throat> trustworthy. And yes, yes. And, but then they'd be able to like adapt. And once, if you put young officers in charge, it's like they, how much experience do they have? They right. probably don't have any except for like, maybe like being in some fights was like right or, or leadership experience right. probably right 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 yeah <clears throat> yeah yeah I, I totally i see where you're going there but I, I think it all comes down to trust they don't feel like they can trust them anymore so if they can't trust them they can't move them to a different like keep them as leaders but move them off the front lines because now they're still untrustworthy in some other role they can't kick them out of the military because they still have connections they still know too much about the military so they could just end up siding with the other side and then leading the armies against their own armies. So mm-hmm. like it, it comes down to, well, either you trust them or don't. And if you don't, you a hundred percent need to get rid of them. How do you do that? Murder. <laughs> like Murder. Yeah. <clears throat> Good old murder. Yeah. So, uh, they, also discuss the spread of pro Nilfgaardian prophecy in the north and the proper methods to handle the cleric spreading the word so as not to create martyrs in the process. Because Devin mm-hmm. was just, you know, he's he's all for just murdering them street clerics and and torturing them for information. And Vitzemir the second was just, you know, you might make a martyr out of them and that would just be not beneficial for you. And right. he was like, it's, ah, you're right. It's just gonna <laughs> motivate everybody else even more. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and they also discussed a campaign to root out the Scoyatel, even considering an expedition to Dolbothana to uh, wow. basically, yeah, to retaliate against uh, all of the, the damage that the Scoyatel had done, um, <clears throat> which was, uh, I don't think they agreed. They actually agreed upon that. Um, also discussed was the reconquering of Sintra and the proper method of rule. Uh, Dimovin proposed for it to be a joint protectorate. So basically all of them kind of own a piece of it, Mm -hmm. um, which no one else agreed with. And they, they all thought that it should be a free country once more. Um, And of course, like plotting how best to take it over for themselves because marry the right person and they control Centro kind of thing. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And uh, this came around to the topic of the, the lost era of Centra Siri and Emir uh, wanting to legalize his conquest through marriage uh, with Siri to Visigard. Um, and yeah, so <laughs> it was, it was this, this is the part that we're seeing at like the final part of season two mm-hmm. where they're kind of having this conversation. So I'm wondering 
hear um, what purpose Dimavend is going to, because in this situation, Dimavend kind of took control of the conversation. Like he kind of led these things, which, you know, that falls in line with like the kind of like King he was controlling everything, Mm -hmm. you know, total authoritarian. And what we see in the show is that it's actually to who's the one running the conversation. So uh, it seems like, I'm not sure if they're like giving the, the Kings and Queen, the, the Northern kingdoms, like a, a back foot. Like we know Foltest, he's had a bit of the forefront as well as uh, the, the King of Redania. I think it's a storytelling <clears throat> trick of putting somebody in a position that we already know and who we we like for some reasons we dislike for some, some other reasons and not overwhelming the audience with too many actors too many key figures all at the same time um so that like demvin can show up but really we're more interested in what to say is going to do because she has more of a personal connection to the characters that are the main characters you know yennefer of course but then also Geralt and siri um so I, I think it's a storytelling device to not overwhelm the audience. I think I think that the show has done a lot. They've been jumping through a lot of hoops not to do certain things that Game of Thrones did. And I think that might be one of the things on their list is let's not give people too many people to keep track of because well, for two reasons. One, it's confusing to some audience members. And two, it's hard to tie up all the threads that come out. So like. If Demavan had a big role in a few episodes in season two, but then all of a sudden he doesn't show up for the rest of the show, people would be like, what what even was that guy? (laughs) How come we didn't get more of him? That's fair. Um, Just a theory. But uh, basically they they came up with a bunch of options of like what to do in the situation and all eventually agreed that uh, Siri had to die. That was the best course of action um, Mm -hmm. for retaking Sentra. So that she couldn't be used by Amir. Yeah. So that, yeah. Uh, we move on to the second Northern War. Uh, right after the summit, Devavan began the war preparations. He launched a large scale persecution of non humans and an offensive against the Scoitel simultaneously with King Hinsult of Kaidwin in order to clear the rear before striking Nilfgaard. Basically, they didn't want to be flanked by the Scoitel, which was what was already happening. Um, so they were just trying to take care of that. Teaming up with Meave, Dimavin redistributed around a third of his men into forts along the southern frontier as close to the enemy as possible. The plan was to provoke Nilfgaardian rangers stationed in Dol Angra to attack Lyrians or Adernians, who could then call it a Cass's belly. Right. Across they the started Ur- it. <clears throat> yeah. That was, yeah. That was the idea of, like, mm-hmm. we basically provoke them in having to do this and then we send our full might because we're because we're we can justify it at that standstill and it's right. you know it's not proper military like protocol to just straight up attack people right and you can tell everybody you can tell everybody who is in your nation you can tell the other nations they started it they initiated the, the attacks we have to respond we're not going to stand for this because you know, you wouldn't stand for it. So we're not going to stand for it. Like it gives you justification. Sure. It was like an honor thing too, where they didn't want to, they didn't want to look bad for doing it. I know that's like kind of an aspect of like civilization. It's part of of politics. Like it's, it's part of like it, it, they want to be on perceived at least as, as on the right side of the conflict, 
They don't want to be seen as the aggressors. They want to be seen as defending their homeland while still benefiting from being aggressive. This like, I'm curious of like, would they not, it was pretty apparent that all of them considered Nilfgaardian the aggressors already. Like mm-hmm. they were the invaders from the South. Like, but there was a true, there was they, still like a limited <clears throat> truce that was called, right? So there's a truce between the Northern kingdoms so that they wouldn't fight against each other. Right. But wasn't, was, weren't they kind of at a, like a standstill with Nilfgaard? Because wasn't Nilfgaard, like, they like retreated away because, you yeah. know, they, they lost. So they, they lost a bunch of forces. They didn't want to like push anything, but they wanted to hold their territory. Right. Northern so it was, it was so. a cold truce. It was, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Um, by June 1267, Demovin began to send messengers to Foltest and Vitsmir II informing them soldiers disguised as no guardians were ready for the night of July 2nd. Volsus replied first, asking Dimovin to withhold until the mages assembly was over. Vitsimir then wanted the same, adding uh, that the Redanian secret service had found out and that there had been a betrayal. Emir knew about the plan and moved a massive army under Minnow Cohorn to Dol Angra. Basically their idea of like pushing into the like Dol Angra, after mm-hmm. you know the Cassus belly, um, Emir found out sent a massive force over there, and so they were ready for this. So became a okay. Let's maybe we should hold off then because they're obviously prepared for this strategy. Don't don't push it. You might turn it to a massacre. Um, alas, the reply never reached Divavind as the messenger was shot by Yavin in the woods of, Pon- of the Pontar Valley. Uh, so. Uh, Yavin, uh, kind of uh, not important character that much, but is a part of, um, uh, dang it. What's her name? I had it in my brain <laughs> this happens and to now it's gone. It'll come Teruvial. back oh, Okay. Uh, she was, um, if you're, you know, in the show, uh, she was the one that was absolutely trying to beat the shit out of Geralt's um, whenever they were kidnapped. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She was, she was very angry about the, uh, the transgressions against elves. She used to be under Phil Evandrel, Then she separated and became her own kind of force or squid cell force. So uh, one of her men just, you know, saw a messenger from a, one of the kingdoms was like, all right, Kill easy shot. Right. Dead. Right. So, <clears throat> yeah. Um, uh, next uh, on the night of, uh, from 1st to 2nd of July, a Nilfgaardian force disguised as Lyrians and Adernians seized Glevitsingen. I think you nailed that one. Glevitsingen, yeah. Glevitsingen, okay. I, yeah. You know, you're you never it. sure. You <clears throat> uh, an imperial, imperial border post, mere moments after a group of Dimovin's heralds escorted by Lyrian soldiers who were the black ones in disguise, informed the folk of the surrounding villages that Adern was taking control now, claiming this as an act of aggression. The Imperials crossed the Yuruga immediately, conquering the Lyrian border fortresses Scala and Spala? Or Scala and Spala? Scala and Spala? <laughs> Scala and Spala? S-C-A-L-A-S-P-A-L-L-A. Scala and Spala? Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, in just three days, Rivia was prepared for months of siege, but cata- uh, ca- capitulated. Capitulated. Yeah. 
Uh, <laughs> words. Under, yes, words. Under the promise of no harm, as Nilfgaard captured her realm, Meave retreated to Adern, seeking aid. Uh, when she found him, Dimavin was participating in the first battle of Aldersburg. Uh, so the next portion is uh, specifically game content, uh, or, or just not uh, part of part of yeah, where it's not canonical to Andrei Sorkowski's works, but to the games, um, mm-hmm. just for that distinction, if you are one of those people. Right. You're not going to find these in the books. You're going to find it in the games. Maybe it's all canon together. Maybe not. Who knows? Who knows? Um, uh, so this this is the part where we mentioned the uh, prostitute Demaretta, mm. um, who, with his affair with her, results in an illegitimate son named Baldwin. Dimavind and his forces fell back to the old city where the prostitute was going into labor. Mm-hmm. Um, with Meave and the remnant of her army, they held out until Dimavind's child was born, retreating from the city right after. When the battle ended, Dimavind gave Meave a few of his men to help her in a guerrilla war and then bid her farewell mm. seeing his army annihilated the kingdom and ashes betrayal from Hinsult, who struck a deal with Nilfgaard and robbed him of upper Adern <laughs> Dimavin <laughs> all kinds of yeah he got he here. got kind of squished there in the middle it seems <laughs> yes yeah. um yeah Dimavin sought asylum in Tredegor where the regency council uh which was the uh the ruling council of Redania after the the death of of uh, Vitsamir, um, where it was believed that his his wife was the one ruling, but actually it was the council mm-hmm. led by yours truly, Sigismund Dijkstra and Philippa Eilhart. <laughs> <laughs> of course, so basically they were running a country, uh, which you know sounds about right. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, where they hosted him when Nilfgaard reached the defenseless Vingerberg, they had no mercy burning it entirely to the ground. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So things aren't looking so good for Adern here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Dimon did not waste time in Redania, but worked hard to gather as many soldiers as possible to reclaim his dominion. When in March 1268, the decisive battle of Brenna commenced, Dimon sent some of his units in support as the battle turned victorious for the north, Demovind and Hinsult met on Adernian soil, shook hands, and agreed to advance against Ardal at Dahi. Dahi. Dahi, yeah. Uh, the commander of the Nilfgaardian East Army Group together, strengthened by Redanian reinforcements and Neve's guerrillas, uh, who had cruelly sacked Nilfgaard's rear. That sounds dirty. I, I, I had to pause. Don't cruelly sack anyone's rear without permission. Yeah, please get consent first. Uh, the Allied kings not only stopped Ardal's advance, but drove him all the way to Aldersburg. Without any delay, Dimavin and Hinsult routed his army in a final battle and won, despite Nilfgaard having a significant numerical advantage. Yeah, which we talked so, about before, is how much larger their armies were. Yes, yeah. but, you know, we got these brilliant tacticians here because we know Hinsult was also mm-hmm. a tactician so yeah well it seems just, like they've kind of put some of the fighting on home territory too that's like, true like, that's true i know this land i've ruled it for you know decades i know what i'm doing Nilfgaard, they they just wouldn't they don't know it as well as i do i got the perfect plan right probably. so it, it sounds like this was like the the bigger bad here like they kind of put some old things to rest at least temporarily 
and were mm-hmm. able to come together it's, and fight off Nilfgaard. It's, it's a very common theme between Aider and Kaidwin coming yeah. together. Yeah, you to took, fight back the Nilfgaard. You took the Pontar Valley, but all right, we still got to fight Nilfgaard. Let's do that first. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, right. okay. We beat Nilfgaard. All right, let's go back to fighting over the Pontar Valley. Oh, yeah. wait, Nilfgaard's coming back. All right, let's put it aside. Oh, you're betraying me. Oh, that's not nice. <laughs> right. Oh, but you didn't get the right end of the deal with Nilfgaard, did you? So you you're betraying Nilfgaard now. Okay. So okay, I'll help you out again. <laughs> right. Right. Because we all know this, they're the big scary ones. <laughs> yeah. And don't worry, this isn't the end of this one. Uh, <laughs> uh, since Faltus has similar success with driving Nilfgaard south past Angren, Nilfgaard started to sue for peace, meaning at the end of the uh, March in Sintra, the Northern Kings negotiated with Shillard Fitz Ostalin, who, wow, I, I, for some reason, I thought it, that, that was actually, I'm proud of myself for that. Hey, one. you got uh, that one. That was good. <laughs> Uh, who represented the emperor to avoid unwanted complications with Nilfgaard and unnecessary bloodshed, Domovin agreed to accept Doblathana as an autonomous elven duchy, a Durnian control of Haga. So just, you know, this strategic move was to stop persecuting the elves. Yeah. So he did. Yeah, right. Again, it's not right. like a personal right. this thing. Time, it's always strategy. Yeah, this time guy. the opposite thing is true about how to handle the elves in order to be strategic. So I will now do that. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It seems not personal at all. And during the control of Haga uh, occupied by Fultzis for safety reasons since late July, the previous year was also restored. Only Hinsult refused to return upper Adern as he claimed it was the ethnic territory of Kaidwin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Here we go again. Uh, in the end, his court sorcerer, Sablina Glevisig, pressed him into withdrawing from conquered castles in less than a week. The treaty's final version was signed on the 2nd of April. Um, okay. And moving back into game, uh, Witcher 2, again, the continuing conflict over upper Adern. <laughs> Yeah, because they're back at it. Yeah. Um, it took but one year before the Kaidwinian army attempted to retake Upper Adern. So they, they waited a year. That was nice of them, right? Yeah. A year after, you know, peace uh, to start war again. Sure. Um, <laughs> they crossed the Pontar on the third day after the Velen Equinox without any formal declaration of war to have an element of surprise. Dimovin, however, had good spies, so he was ready for them. He lined up his troops consisting of banners from Vingerberg, Aldersburg, Goulet, and a dwarven regiment from Vergin along the hills near and gave their command to his champion, Seltzkirk, who was a great inspiration to fighting Edernians. They numbered more than 5,000. Pretty sizable chunk of troops there. Yeah. Including including dwarves. Including dwarves. Yeah. He's like, oh, yeah, got dwarves fighting in my army now, too. Mm-hmm. As the battle started, Adernians quickly decimated the Dun Banner and wreaked havoc among the Kaidwinians, but the battle later turned into a veritable hell after Sabrina Glevisig conjured Melgris fire, killing Adernians and Kaidwinians alike. Um, so that turned yeah. that whole entire place into like a cursed battleground with raids killing everyone, and right. it just became this cursed area rather than this Man. you know lush green Sabrina. forestry. We did yeah. that episode on Sabrina. She seems so yeah. nice, you know? Yeah. Uh, I mean, to be fair, Hinsult and Demovin are not very good people. <laughs> so <No. laughs> um, Hinsult then ordered Sabrina to be burned alive at the stake and retreated back to his kingdom. 
So, I mean, I guess Adern technically won because Hinsult retreated, but like, is anyone really a winner in that situation? Mm. Um, and finally, uh, in 1271, while out on one of his ships celebrating with various entertainment, the Witcher Letho secretly boarded and using a Northern Wind based special capsule froze the majority of the ship and its people in place, though a mage on board managed to protect the king and a few other guards. However, none of them could best the Witcher, who proceeded to cut them all down before grabbing Demovend and killing him, then cut off his head as proof. Yeah, so there's a there's a whole video of this that was part of the game. Um, I believe it's either the interest segment or it was part of the marketing for it, or maybe both. It's, I'm trying to remember way back now when Witcher 2 came out, but it definitely happens right at the beginning of the game because this is kind of what catapults a lot of the events into into motion. Um, yeah, you're looking it up. Toasty's, Toasty's um, looking it up right now. But uh, yeah, Letho is, if you haven't seen Letho, he is a big dude. Like, makes Geralt look like a tiny guy. Like, big dude. <laughs> I'm assume I can't. I think this is promotion because it looks way too good quality for the game. It was. It was like it was like the video part of the game. It wasn't in-game graphics. Oh, okay. right. It was like the video mm. you watched when the game started. I think. I'm pretty sure that's how that's how it plays out. I have to go back and, yeah. and look. There's a few a, moments in the game. Remember. It was the promo video. It was a okay. promo video. Ben says okay. it's the promo video. Yeah, there are a few moments in the game where it's it's all pre-rendered. So it's not like the old, you know, 10 years ago graphics. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, it's cool. You should go watch those. If you're if you're interested in seeing some of the events and some of the stuff uh, and some really cool stuff. So yeah, the the effects when he like. Letho kills Demovend and you'll find it. It's the first first result. Yeah. So. The freezing everybody on sh on the ship and the way the ice shatters and all that stuff. Pretty cool looking. So, yeah, so, well, and that's but, the end of uh, Demovin the third, huh? Yeah. And, you know, that, like I said, his entire life was just war, <laughs> like between fighting with Kaidwin over Upper Adern for, you know, decades um, to the first, second Northern Wars to back to fighting over upper Adern because that's what you do um, when you're bored, I guess <laughs> when, well, you got to defend that Pontar Valley. So yeah. 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 Well, not anymore. It's pretty, it's pretty screwed now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, all right. Well, this has been, this has been an interesting episode getting into the nitty gritty of this stuff. I know for some people, this is a little spoilery on some of the events that they don't know about yet in the timeline, but um, it's kind of a neat way to get a, a sense of some of the uh, strategic and military movements over time. So mm -hmm. pretty cool stuff. Yeah. Toasty, um, what do you think we're going to do next? Well, I guess next week is our patron chat. So, patron chat. so yeah. we'll do we'll do that next and then mm. we'll we'll be back after that for another regular episode uh so patrons let us know let us know what you want to discuss um if you have a fun concept or something very specific send us your thoughts on the discord you got anything else going on toasty um uh, as usual follow us with your lurkast on twitter um i i let me double check my my word because I've been saying things off of guesses and whatnot. <laughs> this he says I think in the response, so I still don't feel confident in that. So you know, for when the uh, cyberpunk so second cyberpunk season starts, season two drops. I asked him. He says I think next week. 
And that so was asked soon, yesterday. Maybe. Which I think their drop days are Sundays, if I remember correctly. Um, right. Well, go go subscribe to the feed anyway if you're interested. And you'll notice when they drop the new episode. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So, yeah. Cyberpunk apostrophe D at the end. Um, yeah, man. Anything else going on? Uh, you know, not not much much else uh i got i mean i think next week i actually would i guess it'd probably be this week with um doing patron chat episodes for both genesis's Gen- genesis's and ben's yeah two separate two podcasts. girls two girls one ship and the uh holocron, holocron histories. histories yeah, yeah. so I'm sure we'll all be t- if you if you watched Obi Wan. I'm pretty sure that's what we're talking about Friday nice. for Vince because uh, the last episode comes out Wednesday, so it'll be yeah. I hear it's already. like an hour and a half long or something. It's like a whole movie by itself, the one episode. Jeez, so that's pretty cool. Um, that's crazy. Yeah, I've been enjoying it. We were talking about it during the pre-show a little bit. Um, but uh, yeah, I've, I've got all my stuff. Uh, RobotsRadio.net. If you are interested in creating your own podcast come join us on the rocket club you can sign up we'll help get your show started i've launched many successful shows at this point so i've got a lot of tips and tricks for you and if you and if you can't afford to join the rocket club and and really just looking for a book to read i I wrote a book on it as well all of that stuff set robotsradio.net so you can go check that stuff out um and then after this actually in about 30 40 minutes from now i'll be uh starting the stream back up because we've got the mass effect Lorecast, and of course there's all my other shows and all the other shows on the network robotsradio.net or join us on the discord there's channels for all the shows on there as well um but that's what we got going on we'll see you guys and our patrons next week and uh until then stay safe on the path all right guys thanks for being here see you later Thanks for tuning in to The Witcher Lorecast. We'd love to hear about your experiences with the games and the books and the TV series and all your thoughts on everything. Please check out the Robots Radio Discord and follow us on Twitter at Witcher Lorecast. You've been listening to a Robots Radio podcast. Smart shows for interesting people. Check out all the shows at robotsradio.net.